friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Maybe I should put my microphone in front of me, Jesse, to start the show. <laughs> Great start. Here we go. This is Tim and Friends for this July 6, 2021. You didn't think the Habs were going away quietly, did you? I know it was close, but that only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and chaves. Habs live to see another day, and what a day it's planning to be in Tampa with a tropical storm heading in. In fact, as I read on Renault Lavoie's Twitter, because let's be honest, I have no time for weather. <laughs> Tropical Storm Elsa could be a hurricane when it reaches Tampa tomorrow. Hope right now, Game 5 will be played as scheduled. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's be honest, though. Who better to weather another storm, figurative or literal, than the Montreal Canadiens? Bruised, battered, and scarred, but here we are, and they're still there. Timmy McAuliffe, Jesse Rubinoff here with you on a Tuesday. We have got a full hockey roundtable coming up. The Jays make a trade, and it's also game one of the NBA Finals in Phoenix tonight. That's right. After all of this, Suns. And Bucks, the Phoenix Suns, and the Milwaukee Bucks, forever <laughs> intertwined by a coin flip that landed Milwaukee the first overall pick in the 1969 draft, Rob Gronkowski's favorite draft year. The Bucks selected Lou Alcindor. Kids know the man is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The Suns got Florida center Neil Walk. That's right, Neil Walk. Bucks won a title two years later. The Suns are still looking for their first. They will start tonight that journey. Coin flip. Coin flip was the difference. I tell y'all all the time, the margins are that thin. But to quote Brian Burke, they won a GD in lottery. Pittsburgh model my ass. Milwaukee model my ass. Safe to say this finals will be history in the making either way. No player on either team has won a title. In fact, only one player on either team has ever been to a finals. Instant trivia. Name him. Jesse, you're out. You can see the answer, and it's your job to know the answer. <laughs> the, I'm not going to say the answer. The answer is Jay Crowder. <laughs> Jay Crowder is the answer. Instant trivia for you. He I don't want to cheat. I the, the one answer. player. Yeah, it's not even like I mean he's it's for he, Seb to answer. He's good. I got his over ten and a half points yeah. tonight, but whatever. Yeah, he is good. He, he's good, but he is the one player, right. not the best player on either team. No, definitely with not. any sort of experience he played there last year. All right, one piece of news everyone waiting for in the NBA: the status the status of Yanni. Uh, that's right. News of the day: Buckstar Giannis Antetokounmpo has been upgraded Ooh. from doubtful to questionable on this afternoon's injury report. Minano, I do know this. It's a stat. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Point differential, 2021 playoffs. Giannis on the court, the Bucks are plus 100. Giannis off the court, they are plus four. Jesse, gut, because obviously we don't know right now. Gut. Yanni play tonight? Yeah, he plays. He plays. Oh, he plays. They're, they don't make that upgrade if he's not playing, in my opinion. I could be wrong. I'm wrong all the time. But why upgrade him? 
if he's not going to play. So that maybe you have to throw that scouting report into the mix if you're the Suns on relatively short notice. I would though. think they're probably, they have two separate game plans regardless of it's the would, finals. You would, you would hope. You would you hope. Would hope. I'm sure Monty Williams. Everyone would be Monty Williams. Smart guy, yeah. But would the players be able to adapt that quickly? Mm. That's the one thing. I will say this, and I said this to Joe Sidalothier. The one thing when I got into this business that I didn't think that I would say once getting into the business, it shocks me how many players at the very highest levels don't read their scouting reports. Really? Yes. Without it. How do you throw fastballs to Marcus Simeon? (laughs) How do you not force R.J. Barrett to his right hand? Like, they're repeatedly I see things and I'm just like I shouldn't know more than that guy yeah. he's getting paid five million to do that he's getting paid 15 million to do it's that it's funny you say that now that I think about it because sometimes we make a big deal about guys who like really study the playbook yeah. or like <laughs> yeah. they're a coach like a, a yeah. player's coach like all, and it should be every single player but evidently right it's not I guess they got a lot but J.R. Smith happens yeah exactly for a reason oh. uh, Rabona Shelberg coming up Later in the show. And hey, if you haven't heard, the Jays have dealt Rowdy Telez. Remember a couple of weeks ago when you and I were mad at the team? Very. They weren't going for any help in that beleaguered bullpen or hadn't acquired any help for that beleaguered bullpen. Well, they've traded for another reliever after Adam Simber now have Trevor Richards, as well as a minor league pitcher from the Brewers today for Rowdy Telez. They did get a left-handed bat in Corey Dickerson. In that Marlins deal, perhaps some plans for him when healthy because they don't have many left-handed bats. No, I mean, it's a perfect example of taking something where you have a strength. Vladdy started playing first. There's no real room for Rowdy anymore. Yeah. And you've got to do more the if you're the one left-handed bat that Rowdy was doing. Yeah. Writing was on the wall. Richards on his third team this year. He went from the Rays to the Brewers, now to the Jays. 3-0, 369 ERA, so the numbers are there, or at least better than what much of the Jays has. Mm. We'll have much more on that. But the cavalcade of hockey starts with first things first. Tuesday roundtable, Steve Dangle, Julian McKenzie, Nick Alberga, all coming up. But the notorious B.I.G. and the somewhat notorious R.U.B. Ooh, we're back. First things first. Love it. You're not notorious, Thank notorious. You That's fine, I'll take the notorious. <laughs> we'll get to notorious someday, hopefully. Uh, just when everyone was counting them out once again, the Montreal Canadiens responding with their backs against the wall, keeping their Stanley Cup hopes alive, and Carey Price, a big reason why he back to being playoff carry, 32 saves on 34 shots, while Josh Anderson continued his strong performance in the postseason, opening the scoring in the first, and then grabbing the game winner in overtime. Anderson chips it past Ruda. He's got Caulfield in front. And the center play, Caulfield. Anderson scores! Josh Anderson extends the series. Canadians stay alive, and there it will be game five. Josh Anderson with an Anderson tire. 
party in Montreal. They are jumping in the streets. But mm -hmm. I, uh, I was missing something there. Did What's I? That? I, I didn't hear. And listen, the radio calls are every, always the best, right? Like they're the ones that usually are the homers. Mm -hmm. Did we not have the Tampa radio call? Conveniently left out of that little montage there. Hold on a sec. I'm being, I'm being told, mm. we we do have it. Oh, we we do in fact have the Tampa radio call. Here's what it. <laughs> Ward couldn't hold it in. It comes out of the zone. Josh Anderson bulldozing after it. Has Caulfield open in front. Looks to center it to him. Caulfield a shot blocked. Rebound Anderson. Shot it off the post. And in. Anderson wins it. <laughs> Another loss overtime. Now we know why it wasn't included in all of the excitement there. It's like it's game five of the regular season. Canadians win. <laughs> I love that. That's almost as good as oh, without the excitement a doubt. of the put, Habs calls. I would put it into every one of my, we call these sound-up packs. Right. I would put that into every one of my sound-up. The, the juxtaposition. So good. The, the contrast yeah. of the excited and what was in Tampa. It's juxtaposition. Very nice. Uh, just one game, obviously. But did you see anything last night to suggest that this won't be as easy a victory? They're trying to get a second cup, second straight cup. Yeah. What do you think? It, it, Tampa has so little flaws that mm. Montreal had to be near perfect. And when you look back now at game four and what Montreal did, I mean, they were able to – the one thing that may have surprised me was they were able to punish the forwards for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. The penalty killing was unreal again. It seems like they need to score the first goal, and they did score the first goal, and the only reason why they scored the first goal was that Carey Price was good. The shots on goal at one point in the first period of an elimination game. If the Habs lose that game, the story today isn't wonderful calls that we heard in French no. and or Hockey Night in Punjabi. It's that the Habs came out and were outshot 11-1 to to start that game. Down 3 nothing at home, they were outshot 11-1 to to start the game. Josh Anderson's first goal to open the scoring, to be that legendary first goal that the Montreal Canadiens need came when the shots on goal were 11-2. to <laughs> That was their second shot on goal. And the only reason they were there was Carey Price. And I wonder if that extra day off may have given Montreal the opportunity to give Carey Price a little bit of a breath and Tampa and their mayor and the Lightning oh, the oh, no. may rue the day that Carey Price got an extra day off. But it took all four of those things for Montreal to win a game in overtime. And I repeat them. They punished the forwards. Yep. The penalty killing was unbelievable. Like killing off the captain's four-minute penalty in the end of regulation and the start of overtime was very fitting for this team. Shea Weber in his first and only Stanley Cup final appearance after, what, like 15 seasons of waiting to get there. And for him to go in the box and get the four minutes, and let's be honest, the referees weren't going to call that until they saw the blood <laughs> on hilarious. the ice. It's so classic. It was. It's yeah. classic, and best referees in the game yeah. understood they were going to let that go until there was blood on the ice, and they had absolutely no choice. And then... Carey Price. Got that first goal, Carey Price. 
Carey Price was great. They got the first goal. They punished, and the penalty kill was there. All four of those things, to do that three more times in a row against Tampa is obviously a huge mountain to climb. And I remind you, because I've been studying all my stats, Tampa hasn't lost back-to-back games in the playoffs since 2019. How many people, when Shea Weber took that penalty outside of Montreal, thought that's a wrap? Yeah, because done. it's the best power play in the playoffs, obviously. Just about a 30% clip they're working at so far. And the Montreal penalty kill has really been just as good throughout the playoffs. But think about the talent that this power play with Tampa has. And it's four minutes. It's four minutes going into overtime. One goal. Done. That's it. Tampa this, wins the cup. Okay, listen. I grew up in hockey. You grew up in hockey. Yeah. Why do hockey people not see the ridiculousness in how that goes from no call, whistles are in our pocket, to, well, got to call this four minutes into the game, yeah. even if it's not in a we dangerous scoring position? so many times. So many times. But is it, like, am I... We've talked about it so many times, but then Gary Bettman speaks about things, and then, like, this is what we want. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Do we not see that, or is it just letter? Like, even if you're a letter of the law person, Mm -hmm. do you not go, hey, Josh Anderson's going hard to the net. They lifted one of his arms up. That takes away an opportunity to score. Why is that not a penalty? And you go to lift a stick in a non-dangerous position, and immediately... Four minutes. Got to make that call. It's inconsistency, and I think what we need to do is set up a little bat phone here straight to Gary Bettman's office. <laughs> Uncle Timmy needs to get right. on the horn with Gary I, it's, it's not Gary Bettman. It's the, it's the officials, and it's the Department of Player Safety, yeah. and that's who makes this call. And I just, I just wonder why I am the only one, seemingly, that thinks it's ridiculous until we have the egregious one, and then everyone jumps no, I, I think And that's I'll, not egregious. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm just pointing out the ridiculousness of letting things go and then immediately having to call something when there's blood because neither official in that game had their arm up when he hit the ice. I think a lot of people do agree with you, but it's the people that matter that haven't changed anything about that. It's exactly what you said. It's the officiating. So we can – and fans can – Scream and yell all they want, but ultimately, if they're not going to make the decision to change it, it's not going to change. Uh, we talked about Josh Anderson there. Mm-hmm. Was that not the most vintage Josh Anderson play that he's made in this playoffs? He was getting a little bit of, of flack for a turnover, couldn't get out of the zone in game three, yeah. uh, led to a goal. Um, but that is the Josh Anderson this team needs. That's the Josh Anderson that they expect to have. Flying down the wing. Flying down the wing, using his size. And then not only that, but the second effort, once Ruda took him out of the play along the boards there, see, he comes back, sees the puck, comes back to the puck, and is able to put him in, put it in. And shout out also to Dominic Ducharme, who shook up the lines, and now Anderson's playing with Suzuki and Caulfield, and he breaks out with two goals, and obviously the OT winner, which is the biggest one of the night. So both Anderson and Ducharme looking pretty good after last night. I mean, he had a good game, but it also points out where he's been for the last little while. And yeah. Shaking up the lines and getting him in a spot. This is why Cassie Campbell and I had the conversation. This is why Kelly Rudy and I had the conversation, because you see the skill, you see the size, yep. you see the ability and the toughness, and you think, where is he every game? And one of those three tenants that I've learned over 20 years in the business ring true once again, right? Like the difference between good and great is consistency. And Josh Anderson could be great. Yeah, looks like it. But he needs to be consistent. 
and he went away for a while. And it can't be Patrick Maroon who makes you go away for a while. 100%. If you're that good. Uh, I also want to say that of Ducharme's line changes, Evans, one assist, two hits, drew a penalty, and Romanov also scoring his first career playoff goal, which is awesome. Uh, So last night was the seventh overtime game the Habs have played in this playoffs, having won six of them, somewhat reminiscent of that Stanley Cup run back in 1993 when they won 10 overtime games. It's clear this is a... Resilient group, obviously, and you could tell after the game the belief is still strong in the Habs dressing room. For me, it's not surprising. Uh, we've been through a lot, and we talked about it, and that's another challenge we have. A little bit like uh, we approach the game, our back against the wall, uh, the wind in our face, um, just uh, playing, the, living the present, and. Uh, playing as hard as we can every shift. We have a bunch of confidence in that room um, right now. Um, like I said from the very beginning, I think um, you know after tonight, I think we're in a good position. Nothing's been easy for us all year. You know, it, it wasn't going to start this series. Uh, you know, we'd, we're definitely aware of the challenge, but every every little bit of adversity we've faced this year, we've handled well. A resilient group, uh, obviously. Like uh, you know, like Brendan said, we uh, we faced adversity all season long and have responded well, uh, and uh, we got a lot of work left to do. Go to Tampa, take care of business, and um, you know they don't want to come back to Montreal and, and play in front of our fans. So I think uh, we just got to go there, take care of business, and come back home, and we'll see where the series is at after that. We still feel that uh, we can be better and. We'll do that in Tampa. We won't go easy, that's for sure. Normal, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, normally I'd say that's all cliche. That's, <laughs> that's that what exactly you're gonna what say? I was going to say. Great minds think alike, full like, seldom differ. You hear teams say this all the time. Yeah. All the time. Like, what, what else are you going to say? But they have proven that they actually do believe in themselves. Because they were down 3-1 to the Leafs. Uh, they were down one nothing to Vegas. Don't even start there. How yeah. about 18th place team right. in the regular season? COVID. How about yeah. minus goal differential? Yeah. How about the Calgary Flames had two more wins than the Montreal Canadiens? How about their coach was fired? How about the coach that replaced the coach that was fired spent two weeks in a quarantine in the middle of the postseason? They won a series while that coach was in quarantine. How about injuries to Carey Price, Shea Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie had like (laughs) one good hand each and they've been able to do this. Brendan Gallagher got hurt at the end of the season. They limp into the postseason. No one expects anything. Like every shred of this season has (laughs) been a test of their resiliency, has been here's your adversity, get over it. And the Montreal Canadiens hadn't done much of it until they got to the postseason. And they have answered every question in the postseason. So it's not just Toronto 3-1. It's not just one nothing Vegas. It is an unbelievable list of things that they've gotten through. And let me tell you, if they if they get one in Tampa, the Lightning are going to start to get real nervous because there's some history on that team that they've been able to kind of shove on the back burner because they won the cup last year. But there is some history on that team. And I'll tell you who will be real nervous if they win in Tampa. That's the mayor of Tampa. Oh, we're going there, are we? (laughs) Yes, because she put herself out on a limb. She got her wish. And and she might still get her wish. It might be completely okay. Tampa wins at home, party, or it could go the other way. Time for our first break. 
Plenty more coming at you. NBA Finals underway tonight. Ramona Shelburne will join us to tee it up. Danny Shulman stops by. Talks and Blue Jays as they trade Rowdy Tellez and acquire another reliever. And we'll have much more in the Stanley Cup Final. Hockey Nights' Kelly Rudy will join me up next. It is the Tuesday Roundtable. Julian McKenzie from Montreal. Nick Alberga beside me. Steve Dangle from the basement. Much more. Canadians force a game five. Tim and friends. A lot of friends on this Tuesday. you guys to stop it coming home tomorrow night has it ever been home uh i don't know have you ever won it stanley cup in the building and the house those montreal legends built one team time to end it the other two extended we're set for game four here at the bell center it's on, deep in front, scores! Josh Anderson! And it's the first lead of the series for Montreal. Anderson gains a step on Chernak. Tripped up, lightning back the other way. Kicked out, comes in front, Goodwill scores! What a play, no chance for Carey Price. To the point, Romanov shooting, scores! Alexander Romanov, his first Stanley Cup. Joseph across the room scores! Gigantic goal here in game four to tie this game up at two. Overtime game four. Anderson scores! Josh Anderson extends the series. Canadians stay alive and there will be game five. The Tuesday tradition is back and hopefully never coming off whack. That's right. We have crossed the country far and wide to assemble a virtual roundtable for your listening and viewing pleasure, depending on how you take in these festivities. And festivities they will be. Starting with a man in the studio. He is the host of the Leafs on Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan. He is also a fantasy hockey analyst at Sportsnet and just a pain old fantasy. <laughs> Making his Tim and Friends debut. You know him as the Golden Muzzy on Twitter. I don't want to know what that means. Nope. And I don't know. I don't know why, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Alberga. Welcome, Nick. How oh, are you, buddy? Wow. Thank hey. you. Thank you. Jesse, thank you. Round of applause. Uh, you know each other well. It. We do. It. Uh, first off, can we get an update on the Italian game? Because uh, I'm an Italian. Oh right, we brought an Italian That's big news in while right they're now. in extra time. <laughs> one one. Uh, okay. Hundred eighteenth minute. Okay. Still one one. So it's still pressure cooker time, but uh, getting close to pen penalties. Penalties. Are you gonna want to watch the penalties while we're here? Don't tell anybody. Like, I'm Italian, but, like, hockey guy. I'll keep him updated right. during the break. Right. It's not like we're on nationally, right? <laughs> From a debut to a vet of what will be his second Tim and Friends appearance. Not a golden nor a muzzy, just J.K.A. McKenzie on Twitter. And like a lot of the kids out there these days, he's a hustler, homie. Ask about him. Associate editor at The Athletic, host of Hockey Inside Out for the Montreal Gazette, and at least three other podcasts that are on his Twitter handle. I would name them, but how much promo does one guy need? Please help me welcome Julian McKenzie. What's up, Julian? 
Man, I'm, I'm doing well, man. I'm just happy to, to be on uh, the show once again, and, and good to see you, Nick, and uh, good to be on with the next guest you'll, uh, you'll introduce. All right. Uh, he needs no introduction, but we'll do one anyway. He is the star of many different screens, YouTuber, podcaster, <laughs> live streamer, although we all do that in one way or another. I never thought I would add professional Habs watcher to the list, but I understand why. Apparently, unlike many. Well, you know, you gotta gotta support Canada's team. Am I am I right, folks? <laughs> fan bases right. across the country. Right. Am I right, let's, folks? Let, no. Let's, what? Let's talk about this before we get going, Steve. Why can't Leaf fans reconcile you doing your job? And did you ever think that you doing your job would involve someone paying you to have people watch you watch sports like you're some sort of sports only fans? <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, phrasing only phrasing is extraordinarily important, I and I disagree with that phrasing. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, all right. Well, well. Um, listen, I'm glad someone finally stepped up to the plate for me, because uh, you know I, I kept going. You know, if the Leafs ever had a deep run, which I thought they were going to do this year, um, I, I really I was like, you know what? This could this could be rather lucrative, and I could be very busy, but it'll be so much fun, and it'll be great for my career and everything. And they. Keep Lucy keeps pulling the football away, and here I am, Charlie Brown. Every year, I'm like, maybe next year. So Sportsnet goes, well, how about you stream all the Habs games? And I said, how about I do? I'm done waiting around. You know what? Wow! I'm gonna get the horns. Yeah, I'm gonna give you horns. Your your job asked you to do something. I don't like people questioning their allegiance. Have they not watched the last? 14 years or whatever the hell long you've been doing this for i i did a half hour video after the leafs lost game seven to montreal <laughs> and it, it involved a 25 minute single take uh but i don't care but no. i don't care about the leafs but i but i lack passion right. shut up i'm getting the bag all right <laughs> getting the bag that said alberga is this a classic heel turn oh this is like austin stuff like you know like it's rule number one. He's a lease fan. What? How do you support the Montreal Canadiens? How do you have that Habs logo behind you? But I'm going to ask Steve this question because I, I was mulling it over the other day. Would you rather your team, you know, just go out in the first round or go all the way to Stanley no. Cup final and then lose, Steve? Well, I've, uh, you know, I think it, you really understand a restaurant when you try all the dishes. Um, and the first round one I've had over and over and over again, yeah. and I already know I don't like it, so yeah. why don't I try the other one? Yeah, give me a second round. Give, give yeah. me, I'm done with the amuse-bouche. I am done with the salad. I'm done with the soup. Give me a steak. Maybe give me some salmon. I hear you. I, I understand it, Dangle. Sell out. That said, Julian, no. as the sellout comes from Alberga, <laughs> Julian, you've been on one of these live streams with him. Are you converting him in any way, shape, or form? I don't need to, and I don't <laughs> want to. Why would I want to do that? Here's the thing. As someone, you know, obviously following the Montreal Canadiens as I do, I have to say this. Just being a reporter and being objective and, you know, obviously just investing in the Canadians just from a reporting standpoint, mm -hmm. but not feeling any fandom or any weird thing. I'm really only in this 
just to say, hey, I covered a Stanley Cup final. Hey, I got opportunities to be on Tim and Friends. I'm not out here worrying about whether or not my team's going to do well. Seeing Steve pour out his passion and blood, yes. like, I'll tell you what, seeing after this, I don't want to be a fan of any other NHL team after this. Are you kidding me? Oh, you God, see how stressed this dead. man is? He straight up, in game six, after the video for game six, he straight up yelled, I'm miserable. And I've watched a whole bunch of these dangle videos. And before it's like, man, you know, he's really entertaining. I like watching videos. You know what, dude? I'm sorry. I love you, man. But I still watch the, I still go back on some of your greatest hits. But when you said I'm miserable, that was the first time I genuinely felt horrible for you. What are my greatest hits, Julian? Lots of, lots of leaf wins, I'm sure. <laughs> Something about a Zamboni driver? Oh, yeah, 9-2 to Nashville. I'm sure, I'm sure it's all 9-2 right. to Nashville. 9-2 yeah. right, to Nashville. We're not making this about the Leafs. We're uh, not making this sorry. about the Leafs. Why not? Julian, I'm asking you the first question. Did the yes. extra day off give Carey Price the rest he needed, and was that the difference in game four? Or is Uncle Timmy oversimplifying? I think Carey Price getting any bit of rest or any opportunity to recuperate himself will always go to the positive for the Montreal Canadiens. Because let's be real, for the first three games in this series, I think he looked more ordinary. Some of the magic that he had in the postseason to that point obviously wasn't there in the first three games. But it came back in, in game four. But another big thing, too, is... The team in front of him has to play well. Carey Price has to play well. The team has to play well in front of them. This isn't Vegas. This isn't Winnipeg. This isn't Toronto. The Montreal Canadiens essentially have to play a perfect game against the Tampa Bay Lightning if they yeah. want to give themselves a chance. And, I mean, I know game five is Wednesday. I don't know what's going to happen think, with the weather conditions. Yeah, think. But, I mean, obviously there's some very serious things to consider with with what could be going on in Tampa. And I don't want to oversimplify that. And I hope people are safe wherever they're at in that area. But if the Montreal Canadiens are able to give Carey Price another day of rest, I can't see that hurting him. Steve, do the Habs have a shot here? Oh, well, what do you want me to rule them out when they're down 3-1? I've, I've learned that <laughs> lesson already, man. No, you know... It, I don't mean to I'm laugh at your tears. I'm sorry. I, sh I, I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> I'm a big believer in magic yes. uh, in sports. And I think circumstance helps momentum. And it's hard not to be romantic about the Montreal Canadiens. Canada's team, everybody. No, uh, <laughs> yeah. but they're the most historically rich team in the sport. And I saw that Shea Weber penalty and I go, okay, it's either over right now or they kill off. A double minor, three minutes of which is in overtime. They win on home ice in overtime, all that dramatic fashion. All of a sudden, they're rolling downhill. They got some speed going. And if they take game five in Tampa, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. It's going to be dangerous for the Lightning. I don't care who they are. Uh, I won't tell you, Nick Alberga, that uh, Spain and Italy are in penalties oh, right no. now because we wouldn't um, want anyone to flip over. I wouldn't want to. No, no. I wouldn't want to pull a, a, a <laughs> six six channel. arrow and have you sit over there and just watch it while Not we react. continue the conversation. <laughs> in the penalties. <laughs> uh, but that is the update. Uh, so, are you buying any of this magic that uh, Steve Dangle is uh, is sprinkling over the Habs? No, no. It's look. It's a fantastic story. Uh, the way I build it going into this series. Tampa's got three top 15 players in the league. They have the best goaltender on the planet. They have the best defenseman on the planet. Stamkos is, what, top 25, top 30? There's just way too many guns. The way I see this series, uh, you know, great for Montreal. They got the job done last night, but I think it's over in five. You know, even going into this series, 
all the conversation was about Carey Price. What about that Vasilevsky guy? Yeah. Right? Like, this guy's been a finalist for the, for the Vesna four times, won it once, could argue could have won it this year. But the fact, if you look at the numbers, it's not like we're talking about the Blue Jays' bullpen. We're talking about Mariano Rivera. Right. 14-0, and 0, the Lightning are in the past two Stanley Cup playoffs following a loss. It's over in Game 5, whenever that is. It's funny because uh, I was spouting off here about the 11-0 and 0 against the Montreal Canadiens, and they did get that win. Yeah. But, like, everything Julian suggests that the Tampa Bay Lightning are just too good for the Montreal Canadiens. But I'm, I'm sitting here listening to what you're saying. I've reiterated a lot of these things myself, and yet I can't help but being drawn towards yeah. Dangle and what he's saying here because... The logic was thrown out the window at 3-1 against the Leafs. Did you not say the same thing about the Leafs-Habs uh, series? I was probably the only guy who was saying, don't sleep on Montreal. Right. I, I just think there's no comparable to even Jesse, Vegas. Can I get, can I get some fact room? Check that. No, do it. Just beside, Leafs Nation. Can I get beside him? <laughs> Leafs Nation post-game no, I was, I was saying here, all I was saying was that yeah. be careful here. you got two yes. Vezina Trophy winners in yes. Hellebuck and Carey Price. So don't act like they're walking through this. No, you're, you're right. Um, because I think you look now at the three teams they played. I think Tampa's a different animal, guys. And we can all agree, right? 17 mil over the cap, whatever. But you can't overlook the drafting. <laughs> whatever, yeah. The drafting problem. No, but we all talk about the 17 mil. Where was the conversation about Riley Nash? You know, where was the conversation about all the Leafs did, you know, storing guys, getting them ready for the Stanley Cup Chicago playoffs? Chicago won a cup doing exactly. it. Exactly. It it's, it's just the nature of the business right now. I get it. But even without that. Look at the prospect buildup of this organization, right? Like Kucherov, Point, like the, the Stamco, like the list goes on and on. And I don't think they're getting enough credit because everybody wants to see them lose, but they're so damn good. I don't think they're losing this series. Julian, do you agree with the cap as if it's not, like, to me, it's two really good players. Like, that's the difference. Yeah. I, look, I think if any other team was in the same situation as Tampa was in, like they do the same thing. Yeah. I'll even go so far as to say if the Toronto Maple Leafs found themselves in a situation where Austin Matthews was hurt for most of the year and he could only play in the playoffs, you know, maybe other fan bases would be, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, the Leafs are cheaters or whatever. But no, there are a lot of people here would be like, that's a shrewd business move by Kyle Dubas or whatever. Like, come on. I, I think it's just a situation where a lot of people are upset at the fact that the Tampa Bay Lightning, especially from, from the general managing work from, from Julian Brisbois, a capologist as he is, the fact that they were able to find a way to make that work to their advantage. And now they're in the final. And you have to realize here, in the era of the salary cap and the fact that it's we're in a flat cap environment presumably for the foreseeable future there's not a lot of leeway for a lot of these teams to to kind of maneuver around the salary cap this is one of the few ways they could do it and as long as it's perfectly legal i'm really beside myself and why people just like to complain about that sort of thing okay so that said yes or no will the nhl close the door to this steve will they close the door will there be a salary cap in the postseason in say five years well, I saw Gary Bettman on TV last night. Since when has the NHL ever been involved in enforcing rules? No. They're not going to do anything about this. Sound effect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Alberta, yes or no? Uh, I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Julian, will they close the door on that? No. Maybe if Tampa, if Tampa was going to win it, like, two three years consecutively maybe they do it but you got to remember like after this year like i'm sure there's yeah. going to be cap hell to pay so no 
I am uh, I am going to tell you right now that there will be a bunch of teams at next year's trade, trade deadline looking for injured players that they can add to circumvent the cap because that's the way you add a $5 million player mm-hmm. without being able to add a $5 million player. And the NHL will eventually have to close that door. You can mark that down as Uncle Timmy said so. All right. One more update. Forza Azzurri. Yeah! Forza Azzurri! <laughs> Feels like, what, 06 all over they, again? They Almost there? In, What's going they on? They win in penalties. <laughs> uh, they beat Spain, so I want to welcome those who are watching TSN <laughs> instead of us. All right, after the break, we'll continue our Tuesday roundtable. Much more on the Stanley Cup Final. We may even play a little game of superstat or meaningless number. That's next. Tim and Friends, Alberga, McKenzie, Dangle, Rubinoff. Lots of friends today. Second half of the round table, the Golden Muzzy in studio, Dangle in his Lovenasium, and what I just assume is his real name, <laughs> Julian McKenzie in Montreal. Anyone object to any of the way? Uh, it's a Lovenasium, be honest. I mean, with the halves behind you, it looks kind of weird, but oh. you have a love for the, the Leafs. A it's love? A love Nasium. Never mind. All right, it, it, maybe it'll grow on me. Okay. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. We're going to play a little superstat or meaningless number. Superstat or meaningless number. We all know stats are like Sixero and a unitard. They show a lot, but they don't show everything. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a stat, and you tell me why this is a superstat or a meaningless number. I'll, I'll start with a layup, a tap in, so you get the idea. And I'll ask Muzzy. Montreal 12 and 2 when scoring first. Tampa when giving up the first goal 0 and 5. Super stat meaningless number. It's everything. It's it's absolutely everything. You look at this series, Tampa, same thing, 15 and 2. I think we saw last night Montreal scores the first goal, way different team. So I think it's everything. Uh, does anyone disagree with that one or is that in fact the tap in that I was talking about? It's a super stat for sure, man. This Canadians team clearly uh gets to a whole other gear when they get that first goal. So that's a super stat. Super de duper stat. All right. Super de duper stat for sure. (laughs) Super de duper. All right, Dangle. Similar tone. Montreal 12 and 1 in the playoffs when scoring two or more goals. Super stat. Meaningless number. Uh, I'm going to say super stat because Carey Price has been so disrespected like all season long. Uh, when his numbers were falling off, oh, this guy makes too much money and everything. And then he gets hot in the playoffs, and all of a sudden, oh, small sample size. Small sample size and all of that. No, he's obviously uh, the Habs MVP to me. Alberga, I agree. I think in this series it's meaningless because it's Tampa. This is not Vegas. You can't score on the power play. Granted, I think Montreal's done a good job on the power play. Uh, what, they're 2 for 12, uh, Tampa so far in this series. But there's nobody, I think, that compete with this Tampa offense. And I think we're finding that out. They, what, 15 goals in four games so far? Right. This one's a little different, and we'll see. The one came against Tampa, so I'm not sure whether or not this is a super stat or meaningless number. Uh, Julian, Canadians 4-0 when facing elimination these playoffs. Super stat. Meaningless number. It's looking like a meaningless number just because they're going up against Tampa, but you can't uh, disrespect the heart of a champion. The Montreal Canadiens have been in this situation before, mostly against Steve Dangle's favorite team, where they had to fight off elimination. 
and they didn't have to deal with that against the Winnipeg Jets. They kind of had to deal with it against the Vegas Golden Knights, and it's still important for them to do that. But I think at this point, I mean, unless they find a way to win five, six, and seven, I mean, there's no way the Canadians can go seven and zero in that stat, right? I, I think it's meaningless. Uh, I won't ask Dangle whether or not the Habs winning in elimination games is a superstar. Meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> Three of them were against the Leafs. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was predetermined. Uh, Alberga, Cole Caulfield, first rookie in the NHL to have three overtime points in a single postseason. Superstat or meaningless? I think it's a superstat. This kid's a stud. He's an absolute stud. Um, I, I think, honestly, the one thing that was missing from Montreal this season, the last couple of years, is a bona fide sniper. They have it now. Dangle, Josh Anderson becomes the eighth Montreal Canadian player to score multiple OT goals in a single postseason. Superstat, meaningless number. Um... It teeters on Superstat because the Habs have been around for so long. I'm going to say meaningless number for when the goals are scored. But for, for the love of God, the amount of money they're paying Josh Anderson and for what we see he can be, he has to be an enormous factor for the Montreal Canadiens. I said it off the top of my stream last night. Did you watch my stream? And uh, turns out he pulled through. Uh, for his team. I'm, I'm going to say meaningless number, but he's he's great. Julian, I, I brought this up a couple of times, and I, I hate that the image of Patty Maroon squaring him up and jawing with him kind of planted the seed that maybe he got into his head and maybe quieted him. But Dangle's right. Like, if Anderson's on his game, like, the flashes make it so seductive on what he could actually be. Here's the thing, man. I, maybe I'm not looking at it as closely as some other people have, but I feel in most of the games he's played in the playoffs, even in games where he hasn't scored, Anderson is skating hard. He's forechecking. He's creating some offense when he can. Like he, not every game is he going to do that patented drive to the net, even though he does it often enough. But I don't think he's necessarily had a bad playoffs because he's been able to do everything else on top of, of the production he's been able to give. So I get that a lot of people are enamored with the flashes and they're like, man, he could be so much more, but I don't think he's necessarily had a bad playoffs. There are a few other Canadians players that would rank a little lower than, than Josh Anderson in terms of the postseason that they've had. I think he's been fine. All right, uh, last one goes to Alberga in studio because he was kind enough to get down here on like Dangle. Alexander Romanov, 21 years, 180 days old, becomes the youngest defenseman in Canadians history to score a goal in the Stanley Cup final. Is that a superstat or a meaningless number? I think it's meaningless. They never get there, right? <laughs> it's been, I don't know, a long uh, time coming, 93. Well, they've been there 35 times. But in recent memory, right? right. But I'm saying meaningless. Okay. We're going to add one more. By the way, are we going Chris Cuthbert Romanov or is he Romanov? I go through. It's Romanov. It's Romanov is his actual pronunciation. All right. So it is Romanov. All, all Russian pronunciations usually put the emphasis on the second syllable, <laughs> but we never put the emphasis on the second syllable on Russian names. But who am I? The girls, them sugar. Last one for Dangle. Superstat meaningless number. On July 3rd. At 19,787 days, the Toronto Maple Leafs set the new record for longest Stanley Cup playoff drought of all time. Is that a super stat or a meaningless number? 
Meaningless number. You can't kill me. I'm already dead. <laughs> and and the, Leafs, uh, the Leafs getting to that number, it's not even like top five most embarrassing things that have happened to them over the last two years. All right. C- cut the music. That does it for Superstat. Meaningless number. Alberga, can the Habs come back? No, I think it's over in game five. Julian, if they come back, what will be the headline on what happened here to become the first team since the 1942 Leafs? They did it. And I said Canadians in seven at the beginning of the series. If they somehow do it, I'll say I told you so. But I've also lost a bit of hope, too. But if they do it, I told you so. (laughs) I I love the I told you so if they (laughs) have the monumental comeback. And, Steve, I mentioned the Leafs, 1942. You can always cling to 1942. It's it's the one positive thing that the Leafs own all by themselves, and to have the Habs take it away, oh, wow. beautiful, be, too, icing, too perfect. The icing on the perfect. cake. Uh, gentlemen, Hurt this me. was fun. Alberga, Mackenzie, Dangle, appreciate all of you. Thanks for stopping in on the virtual roundtable. Yes, sir. All right, there are the boys coming up. The Toronto Blue Jays made a trade before opening a three-game series tonight. In Baltimore, Rowdy Tellez is on his way out. He's going to the Brewers. Dan Schulman will tell us what it means now and what it means in the future when they've added another arm to the bullpen. We'll do that next here on Tim and Friends. Sheepdogs, final hour, too sweet to be sour. And listen, we're going to move on from the hockey talk. I promise you we're getting to the NBA finals. We are getting to a crazy day of the year. We're getting to a bunch of things. But as you may have heard, the Montreal Canadiens are still alive in the Stanley Cup final. Josh Anderson scoring the overtime winner as the Habs win game four, three to two. Game five set for Wednesday in Tampa, but not before Tropical Storm Elsa is expected to threaten the area. Habs head coach Dominic Ducharme, this is all par for the course. There's no surprise anymore. I think uh, anything that happened right now uh, and for a while, we just take it and look at it and say, it's probably part of our destiny. Uh, it's been uh, it's been crazy, uh, but uh, we're a crazy bunch of guys there. In there, and uh, we're going to take that challenge. To basketball, the NBA Finals underway tonight in Phoenix Game 1. Bucks, Suns. Giannis Attentacompo has been upgraded to questionable for tonight's game. The Greek Freak has missed Milwaukee's last two games with a hyperextended knee. Suns won both of the regular season meetings, each by one point, and Giannis was huge. All right, I told you about the Euros crazy day. Let's start with Italy and Spain facing off in the knockout stage in the Euros for the fourth straight tournament. 60th minute, Federico Chiesa in as a substitute. And Chiesa, benissima. This is the second goal of the tournament. Italy's second shot on target, 1-0. 80th minute, Alvaro Morata in as a substitute. And he will get it past Donnarumma. 
His sixth European Championship goal sets a new record for Spain. We would be forced to go to penalties. Morata with a chance to go level with Italy. Donnarumma down low. That is a tough save, leaving Italy with a chance to win it. Baggio, hell no. How about that? Jorginho calmly slots it home. Italy off to their fourth Euro finals. 4-2 on penalty. <laughs> penalty, penalty. So here's a look at the Euro 2020 bracket. Why are we still calling this Euro 2020? It's ridiculous. Are we doing not? the same thing with the Olympics? We are. Well, some people are. I'm not. <laughs> okay. Tokyo 2021. And I called this Euro 2020 in 2021. Yeah, and that's it tripped fair. me up every time. Yeah. So I'm just going Tokyo 2021. Italy off to the final. Guess what? Will it be coming home? Denmark, England goes tomorrow. And if you think it's a walkthrough for, um, for England, you don't watch soccer. Denmark are good, and they've won at Wembley twice in a row. All right. The Blue Jays opened a three-game series in Baltimore tonight. But they were busy this afternoon making another trade to bolster their bullpen. Toronto sending Rowdy Tellez to the Brewers in exchange for right-handed pitcher Trevor Richards and a minor league pitcher Bowden Francis. Richard, who Milwaukee acquired from the Rays six weeks ago, has a 369 ERA, one of Rob Gronkowski's favorite numbers. I uh, texted him and and I told him, you know, I'm happy for you. You know, I will miss you, but I'm happy for you. You know, it's a fresh start. Go crush the National League. That's that's what my message to him, to him was. You know, I love Rowdy Tellez, as you guys know, so I'm, I'm happy for him that he gets a fresh start and he's going to do well over there. So the Jays make a deal. They bolster the bullpen once again after the Adam Simber deal. Here to break it on down with us is the man, the myth, the legend, Dan Shulman, the highly versatile one, joins me from uh, just over there. <laughs> About over there. I think it's the other way, actually. Do you? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's over there. I know the building. Come on. I'm right here. Showman, what's going on? How are you? Well, I can't see you. Were you pointing up? I was what? pointing up and okay. to the right. Well, it's definitely up. That, that I know. <laughs> You're two floors <laughs> up. Uh, so, I prefer to think of it as two levels above you. Thank you very much. <laughs> that, is, that is indeed correct. <laughs> I, uh, I loved when you guys took over the studio. Uh, you and Buck took over the studio because it looked like a before and an after. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I appreciate uh, the next levels that I hope to get to, which will be where Dan Shulman is sitting. All right. So, Shulman, what did we get here? Well, they get, I mean, they get a, a, a quality major league reliever, a guy who has, uh, who can go out and get outs. Is, is he a savior? Is he a closer? No, he's not that. But Trevor Richards is a guy who can go three to six outs an inning or two. You know, he's probably going to be a fifth and sixth inning guy, sixth and seventh inning guy, a bridge from the starting pitcher to the late leverage guys who continue to be in no particular order, Mesa, Simber, Romano. I think I always talk about a circle of trust in the bullpen. I think Mesa, Simber, and Romano are in the circle of trust, and I think Trevor Richards is going to be let in on a conditional basis right now, and they'll see how he does. But listen, he is better than some of the other options they've had, um, and they, they have to stop losing games uh, through the bullpen or, or minimize the number of losses through the bullpen. So I, I still think they need more, but then, the, again, this is a step – in the right direction. This is a guy who's been successful in the major leagues as a reliever recently, and he should be able to go out and help the team. 
Uh, as for Rowdy Telez, if you can't hit off the bench and you can't put up numbers as a left-handed bat with Vladimir Guerrero playing first, this felt like, especially with the Corey Dickerson deal yeah. or throw-in on top of the Simber uh, pickup, it felt like this was almost uh, writing on the wall. Yeah, I think so. And, and I've been a big supporter of his, and I thought he would come out like gangbusters this year and really build on what he did the last three weeks of last season before he suffered the knee yeah. injury in Buffalo, and I and I was dead wrong. He had his opportunities, and, and he he just never really got going this year, and it kind of felt like it was inevitable that he would move on. And it still wouldn't surprise me if he figured it out at some point. He's got immense power, and if he can show plate discipline like he did in a short burst of time last year, I still think he can put up numbers. And listen, if you're Rowdy Telez, you're going to a good spot. You're going to a team that looks like a playoff team that needs a first baseman, and he's going to get opportunities, I would think, to at least play against righties. And and I wish him well, and I think he'll do pretty well. But what Rowdy does is almost secondary to whether this deal is a good one for the Blue Jays. I don't think it's about comparing what the Blue Jays got versus what they gave up. It's just about can Trevor Richards help them win some more games out of the bullpen and keep them in a, in, in a playoff race. Does this tell us anything about that Dickerson part of the Simber deal? Uh I, you mean whether Dickerson was acquired with the thinking that Rowdy Telez was going to be moved, whether there's a connection there? What, whether the left-handed bat could yeah. be something that they can use and that it's kind of a lottery ticket to see if they could actually use Dickerson, who's injured now, yeah. in, in a in a bigger way than a crowded outfield. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I think there's a chance he can get some starts in left field against righties, and Lourdes Gurriel doesn't play every day. I think there's a chance he DHs sometimes. Um, you know, he's injury insurance if any of the regulars get hurt. And he's a left-handed batter with some thump who you can bring off the bench. And let's be honest, the bench has not been great for the Blue Jays this year. So, like, going forward, you can project the bench to be, say, Corey Dickerson, Santiago Espinal, and whichever catcher is not in the game. Or if Dickerson is in there, maybe Guriel is on the bench with, uh, with you know, say Guriel and Espinal are playing, maybe Dickerson and Biggio are on the bench or, or vice versa. So uh, I do think the bench gets better, which it needed. The bullpen has gotten better with both of these deals. I really like Simber. The bullpen needed to get better, but I, I think there's more coming. And I like that they did this now. They got three games against the Rays coming up soon. They've got seven games against the Red Sox before the end of July. Like, the time is now. You, you got they're four pointers, right? As, as you say in the hockey world, and and um, I'm glad they've made a couple of deals early while the games are still very meaningful and while they're playing the teams they're chasing. Agreed. When when you say more coming, I know that there's a lot of Jays fans that start uh, trying to put two and two together. And when you have Dickerson there, who's played some Gold Glove defense in the Gold Glove defense in the past, you wonder. With the plethora of outfielders, could there be another move with something significant off the roster and one of those outfielders? Because I know it's been talked about on Twitter. Uh, yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> and not subtly. I know. Uh, I think it's possible, but I would bet, you know, 60-40 against. A and if they're going to move one of them, I would think it is, it's Gurriel. Uh, I, you know, uh, Gritchick makes a lot of money. George Springer's obviously not going anywhere. And Teoscar Hernandez is a star right now, and, and he's pretty affordable right now as well. So if they were to move one, I would think it would be Guriel, And then Dickerson slots in and left. And you've still got four outfielders, and you can move guys around and rotate people through the DH. So I think that's a possibility, but I would think it's more likely that we see a deal more similar to the one they just made today 
in that they're trading somebody from their farm system, and I know Rowdy's in a different category, but right. where they're trading, you know, a, a mid-tier prospect for a reasonably good reliever. I, I don't know that there are any huge deals coming. If Gurriel's in a deal, it, it's it's a little bit bigger. Not a blockbuster, but it's a little bit bigger. But I, I would think it's more likely that another, you know, mid-level or second-tier prospect goes for another reasonably good reliever who just gives them another option out of the pen. Uh, Twitter also trading a catcher, but I won't get into that. Let's talk a little bit about Steven Matz. Uh, he gets to start tonight against Baltimore and uh, showed some real promise right off the top. Has there been a regression here? Is that the mean? Like, where are we at on Steven Matz? Well, I, I think the, the true Steven Matz is probably not quite what we saw in the first three or four starts of the season, but I don't think it's what we saw in the last start when he came off the COVID IL. I, I think you, you probably probably deserve a pass when you haven't pitched for three weeks and you had COVID. So uh, let's see what he does tonight. And granted, the opposition's not great tonight, but they actually aren't a terrible hitting team. And they've been hitting the ball pretty well lately. Like Hyunjin Ryu, although they have different arsenals, it's about commanding your pitches. It's about locating um, his changeup, his breaking ball, uh, and not leaving them right over the heart of the plate. Uh, I think Stephen Matz is uh, is going to be fine. Is he going to be their number one or two? No, I don't, I don't think so. But I think he is good enough to stay in this rotation, and I expect some positive regression back upwards toward the mean, if that makes any sense at all, uh, based on from where his last start was. If you put the mean ahead of where he is, that makes complete sense. I understand <laughs> what you're talking about. Uh, all right, let's talk about Ryu because you brought it up. And listen, the, the numbers month by month are a little bit damning. They, 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 they cause a little bit of concern among Jays fans. Now, there is a history of wonderful pitching from Hyunjin Ryu, but has the last, last month and a start... Uh, caused a little bit of concern for you? Yeah, I think a little bit of concern is accurate. I, I, I don't think it's, it's uh, sound the alarm, but I think a little bit of concern is accurate. I'm wondering if he kind of gets a, 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 you know, a refresh over the All-Star break because uh, he'll have, whatever, two, three, four extra days off, and I wonder if that if he comes out of there looking more like himself. I, I don't know that we're ever going to see the guy who was like just lights out you know, five out of six, six out of seven starts every time he took them out last year. I mean, he was just great mm -hmm. last year. He can still be very good, but he's had a little bit of trouble. He hasn't been getting as much swing and a miss on his changeup. I don't think he's been locating his changeup uh, as well. And if he's human. If he makes mistakes over the heart of the plate, he's going to get hit. He doesn't throw hard enough to get away with a ton of mistakes. And if the changeup is not a chase, a swing and miss pitch, then it's 2-1 and one instead of 1-2, and two, or it's 2-0 and oh instead of 1-1, one and, one, and, and then he's really got a battle on his hands. So um, I, I think a little bit of concern is, is accurate. On a positive side, you know, Robbie Ray, Ross Stripling, Alec Manoa, those are three things that are going pretty well right now. And I, I, I think the rotation is in pretty good shape. I still think even with the Simber deal and the Richards deal that the bullpen is the area that needs to be addressed the most. The, the one question that I've heard that I understand is, is this an Estrada where the changeup is so important? Marco Estrada's changeup was wonderful. Then people figured it out and sat um, and were able to start hitting him. Is, could this be something where Ryu, people have figured it out, and if he's not perfect, it's tough to be good? I don't think so. Okay. I think it's more about location. Uh, what I've seen, um, and I didn't see a ton of his last start because, as you know, I was uh, Canada basketballing, and, uh, <laughs> and and I'm amazed that you haven't asked me about that. I thought I thought we were diving right into that, but maybe you just want to move on and the heartache's too, the yeah, pain is too recent. I don't know recent. if I want to unearth that again. I get that. I, I had a session yeah. with Paul Jones yesterday. <laughs> made me feel good. Jonesy came like a like a principal that he once was right. and kind of laid it out for me. I'm, I'm very scared of this again. 
again, Dan. Like, yes, no, it, it, it absolutely. You, it, you don't want to open your heart up for fear of getting hurt again. Like, I, I totally get. It. I'm, so, I'm, I'm scabbing up, and I don't want to rip it off fine. again. Let's okay. go. Ne- this that, never uh, happened. Well, this under nineteen, we could talk under nineteen if you want. Absolutely, I'm okay with that. Absolutely, three and zero going into the. I guess the quarterfinals now, or the, no, there's still it's A one B four. Actually, know the format. They're going to play the fourth <laughs> place team. A one B four. They're A one. They're going to play B four. I'm we, I'm weird that way. So, but back to Hyunjin Ryu. I don't I don't think it's that they're on to him. What I've seen, what I think I've seen, is that with a changeup, he's either missing over the plate and it's getting hit, or too far outside and they're not swinging at it. Whereas the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle, right. obviously. Just down, just away, too good to take, looks like I can hit it, swing, and I got nothing. So uh, I, I think it's really just about, I think commanding the changeup is the, is the most important thing for him that may have been lacking in, in recent starts. His velocity's been okay. It might be down a little bit, I think, but but not enough in my mind to make a difference. But the lower your velocity is in general, yeah the better everything else has to be your location changing speeds keeping them you know deception whatever it is uh i I think he's going to be okay and it wouldn't surprise me if he came out of the all-star break looking more like himself all right we got to go just give me one name from the u19 team that every canadian should know by the end of this tournament caleb houston who's going to the university of michigan and is possibly a lottery pick next year (laughs) danny love the versatility (laughs) and We'll see you later. All right, guys. All right. <laughs> All right. There, see ya. There's Dan Schulman. Uh The U19 team. I know we don't want to look ahead, but it's really, it's really good. Time for a break. On the other side, Houston's like a top 10 recruit in the United States. Now, Canadians live to fight another day, but can they win game five and bring the series back to Montreal? Hockey Night in Canada's Kelly Rudy joins us next. We will discuss NBA Finals also on the way. This is Tim and Friends. They're alive! Alive! The Montreal Canadiens, courtesy Josh Anderson, able to book a ticket to Tampa for Game 5, and we will keep an eye on when Game 5 happens because there is some weather blowing into Tampa that is of a serious nature, so this could be delayed a wee bit. We bring in Kelly Rudy to discuss, and not just because of the weather. I'm not, I don't think that Kelly is a meteorologist in any way, shape, or form or has been watching the Doppler radar, but I bring it up, Kelly, because... Carey Price, I thought, used that extra day off and looked really good yesterday. Was was that the rest that he needed that extra day off? And if they get another day off, could this be really good for Montreal? I would think so. Uh, when you're resting and you're putting your head on the pillow at night and you have really good thoughts like Montreal does right now, that it can only help, right? So I think that... Uh, I, I, I have to backtrack. So last week when I was on and you said Vasilevsky had seriously outplayed Price in the first two, and I wasn't going down that road because I thought it was only two games. But after the third game, <laughs> then I was saying, boy, my friend Tim just nailed that. But, but Price was his usual self yesterday, made 32 saves. I thought, by the way, uh, a couple of his saves early on were the key because there was a great chance by... Kucherov with, uh, I think, only 29 seconds gone in the first period right off a face-off in their own zone. So I thought that was a good start for Montreal. Um, You know, I just think personally, uh, if I'm going to just recap that game in a quick second here, where I think it got away from Tampa, and I've said this for years and years and years, and even when I was still a player, I hate power plays that you start a period with. And whether it's early, whether it's 30 seconds, or in this one it carries over from regulation into overtime, 
and oftentimes, and I think analytics would prove me to be 100% true, uh, oftentimes those are miserable power plays and they don't connect. And uh, for the first minute of overtime, the Tampa power play was horrible. And uh, they got it back on track. They had a few chances after that. But I've always said and I've always hated when my team got an early power play because mentally the guys were just not into it. They're not sharp. They're sort of easing into that period. And uh, I didn't like it. And I didn't expect uh, Tampa to score, although they had a couple chances later on in that power play. Price was really good. But, you know, I've always said, uh, there's, there must be some formula that we're missing in the game where a, a coaching staff, I don't know why, but you can't ever really get the guys to rally around the fact that we have to be mentally sharp here early on this power play. They could have won the series with that, and uh, they let it go. Yeah, without a doubt. And you felt like, listen, captain, first time in the Stanley Cup final, almost two decades in the NHL. Like, you just felt for Shea Weber sitting in there for four minutes. And right. when Montreal killed it off, it felt like, wow, like here's some real momentum. Now, that's also hindsight, I will say that, because they score yeah. the goal and you can say that it felt that way. But what a huge kill for a team that had been so good on a penalty kill through three rounds. And, but you're right. It's not a cliche. Uh, you get a lot of momentum uh, and you get a lot of uh, adrenaline through your body when you have a big kill like that at any point in the game. But in particular, when uh, you're facing elimination, it's overtime, and you know if, if something bad happens, you're going home. And so that was a, a big boost for them, I thought, mentally for Montreal. And what an effort by Anderson, right? So he goes around Ruta, yeah. which is no easy task, because Ruta's a big man, but he skates really well, right? And Anderson throws it in front to Caulfield. But the better thing, and Cassie picked this up quickly last night, is how quickly Anderson was off the boards and back in front, right? Like he beats Ruta. That's his number one job, try and beat uh, the defenseman to the front of the net. And that's also Ruta's job, try and beat the forward to the front. But Anderson had that one extra stride, and that was the, uh, the game right there. So it was just a, a really well-played game, I thought. But I, I have to admit, I'm going back again here. I'm all over the place. But uh, when Maroon scored late in the third period, I kind of thought, oh, boy, this might be crushing for Montreal. And yet it wasn't. That was a good sign for them. You know, I feel like we're either Kreskin or David Blaine if we're going to update the reference here because we also had a conversation about Maroon and Josh Anderson. And when Anderson's yep. engaged <laughs> in, in the game, man, is he good. It's almost like... You, you see those flashes and you think if he does this, and I've said this a thousand times, this is one of the things that I, I will swear by now over 20 years in the business, the difference between good and great is consistency. And if yeah. Anderson is consistent, man, this guy could be a really good player. I'm with you. So I'm laughing because when you think of that, that's what every coach wants, right? They don't want the highs and lows. They want just a consistent player. So when they throw you out every single game or every single shift, they know what they're getting. So it reminds me, Tim, back when I was in the minors, so yeah. I played three years in Medicine Hat. Then I go to play for Indianapolis Checkers uh, in the minors for a couple of years. So my first year in the uh, minors, uh, we had a guy by the well, both years. Fred Creighton was our coach. Fabulous man, like really a fabulous man. I was able to get to know him over the course of two seasons. But early on in my first year, we're flying somewhere, and uh, he comes. I can see him sort of looking at me coming back on the plane. And and uh, back in those days, the planes weren't always full. There were some empty seats, so I had a couple empty seats beside me. And I'm thinking, oh, how nice is this? Fred's coming over to try and get to know his young goaltender, right? Very first thing he says to me, Tim, is, have you always been this inconsistent? <laughs> so I was like, 
Okay, I think message sent and received. I know what I have to work on here in my time in the minors. And so uh, that is really exactly what you're talking about with Anderson. Man, he is a skilled player and he's going to be really good for Montreal, but you just need to see it on a regular basis. But that's okay. Like, it's 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 fine to be, to show the flashes. Like, I, I thought there are players that you can have on a third line or on a second line who can do that, where they'll score two goals in a game and it'll be a huge two goals and you can ride that. But for Montreal, a team that doesn't score all that often, when you have that kind of talent, like if you threw Anderson on the lightning, you love him because he doesn't have to do it every day. But on Montreal, he's got to do it every day. Yeah, that's a good point. And he's in a, on a line typically where he, he has to produce, right? And if you're not always producing, that's okay too because most scorers are streaky, right? But you still yeah. have to generate the chances. And that's the most important thing that you have to make the defenseman on the other team when you're a player like Anderson. You need those defensemen to fear you every time you get on the ice with your speed and your size and all those sorts of things that he brings. So we, we had this conversation earlier in the show, and I'd love to get your opinion on it. And, in fact, I had it with Justin Bourne yesterday as well. What are Tampa's flaws? Because I thought Montreal had to be near perfect. The penalty kill had to be great again. They had to score first. Uh, they had to punish Tampa's forwards. And Carey Price had to be Carey Price. Like, where do you see the opportunities for Montreal in Tampa's game? Well, first of all, I don't think Tampa has many weaknesses or flaws. That's, uh, I think, pretty evident from watching them in the last couple of seasons, that they have grown so much from being just a high-skilled, up-tempo uh, team that wanted a bit of a track meet to a really gritty team with all those same elements, lots of skill, great speed, competitiveness. Uh, I think where Montreal needs to, or how they need to play, is what they did yesterday, just punish the Tampa-Florida forwards. That was exactly what they did. Uh, I thought they were incredible. We showed a whole bunch of their clips last night of the hits by Montreal and they targeted the top uh, forwards on Tampa. So that's what they have to do again going into tomorrow's game. All right. Last one here. And I, 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 it's not an easy one, but Montreal has dealt with adversity on a lot of different levels for the entire year. I mean, they fired a head coach. The, the next head coach ended up in a quarantine. They had guys hurt. They had guys come back. Two great defensemen are playing with one hand at one point in this book. Can that adversity build the kind of character, and we only got about 35 seconds here, but the kind of character that could pull you out of a 3 nothing hole for real? 100%. Now, I'm not predicting it, but I will say that it's cer certainly beneficial when you've gone through all sorts of difficult things. And the one thing about that is that you really learn to trust yourself, but more importantly, you trust your teammates. Like You, you look yeah. around that dressing room before warm-up even, you're going, I like this group. I, I think we, I, we still have a chance, and that's very important for an athlete. Kelly, really appreciate it, and the pro was able to get it in in 30 seconds. Love you. I uh, hope you get the car soon. Be well, man. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Love you too, bud. All right, there is Kelly Rudy. Uh, for those of you watching Sportsnet, time to get you to Blue Jays Central. The Jays opening a three-game set in Baltimore. Jamie Campbell, Joe Siddle will take you to first pitch. As for us, Tim and friends continue. They don't let us go. No, we continue. Sportsnet 360 will get you set. NBA Finals with Mark Stein. Enjoy the ball game or see you in a minute on Sportsnet 360. Right here on Tim and Friends.
Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Told you it was 60 seconds. NBA Finals get underway tonight in Phoenix. The Bucks are looking for their first title in 50 years. The Suns looking for their first title ever. As is their point guard, Chris Paul. CP3 has been many things in his 16-year career. An antagonist, an all-star, a pest, and now a leader. Here's the guy sitting right over there Me? on the point guard. The undisputed best point guard of his generation, one of the best floor generals of all time, not yet able to reach the NBA's mountaintop. But in the twilight of his career, can the point god ascend to the heights of the basketball world? What an electrifying talent. He gives a master class at the point guard position every single night. Chris Paul, the maestro, the point god. The New Orleans Hornets select Chris Paul from Wake Forest University. Chris Paul wasn't even the first point guard taken in the 2005 draft. Darren Williams went third to the Jazz, but CP3 wasted no time proving he was an elite player early in his career. By his third season, he'd led the league in assists and was an all-star for the first time. Well, if you didn't know, now you know. <laughs> that is Chris Paul, folks. But New Orleans failed to build a contender around Paul over the course of six seasons. And fearing he would leave via free agency, they struck a deal to send him to the Lakers to play alongside Kobe Bryant. Well, the deal is dead. The league's asking price was just too steep. Not so fast, said the NBA head office, who operated New Orleans at the time as the trade was vetoed by David Stern. Just days later, the Hornets pivoted to another L.A. team. The Clippers go Hollywood in the race between L.A. teams to land super point guard Chris Paul. It's the Clippers, not the Lakers, landing their man. And just like that, Lob City was born. CP3, the Lob. That's Lob City, folks. While the Clippers might have been the league's most exciting show, playoff success eluded them year after year. The cold reality is, yet again, the Clippers can't find their way for a deep playoff run. Following six seasons and zero conference finals appearances, the Clippers sent Paul in a sign-in trade to Houston to join forces with James Harden. But I have real fit concerns. Can D'Antoni get them, both Chris Paul and James Harden, to give up the ball? After an NBA-best 65-win season matched up against the defending champion Warriors, the Rockets were one win away from playing for a title. Then, disaster. Chris Paul is down. Chris Paul is hurt. Without Chris, there's no way the Rockets should win. This crowd has stunned the 65-win Rockets are not Another devastating loss followed the next year by another exit at the hands of Golden State, and Paul was on the move again, this time to a rebuilding Thunder team. In OKC, Paul helped lead a surprising playoff appearance, but ultimately, it was just a pit stop en route to turning Phoenix from an upstart team into a title contender. He was brought to Phoenix to bring stability, experience, and most importantly, leadership. To teach his young core how to win at the highest level. And boy, have they done just that this year in the desert. Paul, not always the favorite of past teammates, has found a perfect fit with the Suns. The ultimate leader joined with a young, dynamic roster that needed every ounce of his endless basketball wisdom in order to take the next step. 
That's really the only teammate that really pushed me. Like, big bro type push, knowing what I got and that I never thought that I had. I think it was, it was the best thing that happened to my career. You know, I've learned so much from him this year. And I always talk about, you know, off the court, how he carries himself. And, you know, so I, I have a lot of respect for him as a man, not even as a basketball player. Still, it's been anything but easy for Paul throughout these playoffs, battling through a shoulder injury in round one and a positive COVID test that kept him out of the first two games of the conference finals. But with the first finals appearance on the line in game six, CP3 came through with a signature performance. What a performance from Chris Paul, 41 points. After 16 seasons and 11 all-star selections, the Hall of Fame awaits, but first, here sits the point god at the gates of basketball heaven. Well done, Mr. Rubinoff. Shout out to producer John Levitt for that one. I was going to do that right after saying Sorry, well done. Sorry, stole words Rubinoff. out of your mouth. But yeah, no, no, as long as Levitt gets his love, 100%. I'm good with that. Uh, here to discuss is a man who has covered the NBA for over three decades, Mark Stein. I was going to say of the New York Times, but now I realize, wait a second, soon to be of Substack. That's that's an intriguing little move, my friend. I don't know, I don't know that you guys really want to uh, cut into your NBA Finals preview with a long, detailed explanation of that, but <laughs> I, appreci- I appreciate the sharing that, and uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm, Big free agent move in the Stein household, I have to say. I, I am, I'm going to tell you that I am intrigued with what Substack is going to be, but we will save that conversation for another day. Um, the irony that Chris Paul makes the finals is probably, if Giannis doesn't play the favorite in the finals, um, in a year where there have been so many injuries, is not lost on me. Like, this is an unbelievable story and almost fitting that it comes in this year, No. Yeah, I mean, in a way, in a lot of ways, it is kind of the metaphor for just this absolute roller coaster of a season. I mean, you don't have to rewind too far to remember that the Suns, as the number two seed, were almost universally picked to lose in the first round against the Lakers. And you never see Vegas touting a number seven seed. There really has never been a number seven seed quite like the Lakers. And now, three rounds later, the Suns are favored to win it all because we really don't know what kind of Giannis Antetokounmpo Milwaukee is going to be able to lean on. So, I mean, yeah, it just it just kind of sums up what an unpredictable ride this has been. And look, injuries have been a massive part of it. All we've talked about for three months, really, is injuries. It's when Since LeBron went down in March, injuries to star players have been the dominant storyline in this league. But I can, I can guarantee you this. Neither the Phoenix Suns nor the Milwaukee Bucks will apologize one ounce if they are fortunate enough to get through this series. It's an incredible opportunity for two franchises that have been waiting a long, long, long time for this. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. There are a few injuries that allowed the Toronto Raptors to win an NBA title. Uh, I still hosted the parade and the banner was still raised. Exactly. You guys know it as well. You guys know it as well as anyone. Yeah. Uh, There's some legacies on the line here. Um, Whose legacy are you most intrigued with? Is it Chris Paul? Is it Giannis Antetokounmpo? Is it Mike Budenholzer? Like, 
we have a picture of Budenholzer up in the studio, and I know you can't see it because you're on the phone, but, like, he was universally fired. And basically, if they win this thing, he will write his ticket in Milwaukee. For me, it's actually Giannis. And I think yeah. most people in my position would probably say Chris Paul because he's been waiting a lifetime to get here. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy who had to, for 15 years here. You can't even make the conference finals, let alone the finals. Right. It's only been to one conference finals that ended in absolute agony. So I think a lot of people would say Chris Paul. But for me, it's, it's Giannis and the Bucks, you know, kind of wrapped up into one because this is such a big opportunity for them. And, you know, Brooklyn is this monster in the East that certainly you expect them to be healthier next season than they were this season. For the moment, they still have these, you know, three of, of the game's top ten most feared offensive forces. Uh, and so, and Philadelphia, you know Daryl Morey is going to be aggressive making changes. So that's just two teams in the East that if you're in Milwaukee's position, you have to assume they're going to be in much they're going to be much tougher out next season than they were this season. I mean, Milwaukee had to deal with Miami, Brooklyn. We thought it was going to be Philadelphia. It turned out to be Atlanta. But that was just to get to the, to the finals, and they've done it. And they, this is an opportunity they have to seize. Now, again, we don't know how effective Giannis is going to be. I'm sure you guys have noted he's already been upgraded from doubtful to questionable for tonight, all signs point to he's going to do everything he can to get out there on the on the court if it's possible. But how effective he's going to be, how much explosion he's going to have, I mean that that all remains to be seen. But you know, for Milwaukee, this is such an opportunity, and they they really need to seize it. It, it was funny when I read the upgrade, and when I read Woj talking about um, you know round the clock. Uh, was the continued round-the-clock treatment on his left knee. All, all I could think about was exactly what you're talking about. Like, everyone in Milwaukee knows what an opportunity this is and how few of them you actually get at this level. I mean, just think about the money they've invested in their yeah. three stars. I mean, it, you know, it's $500 million in those three players, like, if you win this championship, it's all worth it. Like, it's all, like, you know, the the haters can come for you, and next year you could lose in the first round, or you get swept by the net, or whatever it is. Just, like, the whole complexion changes when you win one. I think Raptors fans and the Raptors organization understand that. You guys know I live in Dallas. It certainly did that for the Dallas Mavericks and Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki revolutionized his position. Yeah. He, I mean, there's not many players you can say that about. But then when he won a championship and put the ring with it, it just changes your legacy. In a, I mean, Giannis's career will just be looked at differently forever if they just get one. And he has been big against the Suns. Uh, two meetings in the regular season, both of them one-point wins for the Suns, but Giannis averaged 40 points on 60% shooting against the Suns. So even at, say, 70%, that would be a huge step up for them. So if you look at the Suns, what's to be learned from 19 and 63 two seasons ago to where they are now? Well, 
they drafted very, very well and probably don't get enough credit for that. And obviously part of the reason is because, you know, some of those picks were made by Ryan McDonough, who's not there anymore. So, I mean, they, you know, Devin Booker for years was just branded. You're, you know, a good stats, bad team guy. You're not a winner. You're not this, you're not that. But, you know, it being as bad as they were for so long, it put them in the position to win the lottery and get Aiton, who, you know, as a third cog in a star trio, Aiton looks fantastic. But this really, to me, it started in the bubble. And I was in the bubble. I spent a lot of time with the Suns. My kind of strategy covering yeah. the bubble was I want to pay attention to these teams like the Suns and the Wizards and the Magic that nothing is, is expected of. And some people don't even think they should be here. Phoenix had the 21st best record of the 22 teams that qualified for the bubble. And I was going to their games early and nobody was paying attention to them. And they went 8-0. They found something. It was the first sustained success of Booker's career. And remember, this is a guy who in college, he's at Kentucky, expected to win every single game he plays. He's on a team so deep, he can't even start. And they found something in the bubble. Monty Williams was the perfect culture setter for them as a coach. And that success convinced ownership which is not known the Suns are not known for splashing out the cash then they took the leap to take on Chris Paul's massive contract yeah and you know it all led to what we see now you know it's funny in that bubble that caused me I had an argument with my ex-co-host uh surrounding the addition of Chris Paul and it was literally that it was that I saw a team in the bubble that seemed like they were taking the next steps and thought that Chris Paul could be a guy to help them take the next step. I wish he was still here so I could rub that in his face. Uh, either way. Let's also, let's just not get crazy, though. The, the Suns did not trade for Chris Paul thinking it was going to lead to a final no, first. No, I mean, just next steps. They were just, trying make, they were just trying to make the playoffs. Yeah. These guys haven't been in the playoffs since Nash was there in 2010. So it's worked out beyond their wildest dreams. Who's the who's the um, on the the understudy the on not quite on the marquee that could make a difference? There are some real intriguing names. Drew Holiday uh, took it to another level um, in Game Six, and I thought he was the difference. But DeAndre Ayton has really matured too. Like there's some intriguing names here. Who do you uh, who do you look at that could really make an imprint on this series? I'm a huge Mikhail Bridges fan, but he did not have a good conference finals. And no. his rock and the two-way player he's become has been a very big part of what Phoenix has done. And in this series, with the way Holiday and Chris Middleton finished the conference finals, and with the load, you would assume those guys are going to continue to shoulder unless Giannis is miraculously ready to come back and just become peak Giannis, which I don't think anybody sees that as realistic. I think Bridges is going to have a big role in this series defensively for Phoenix. He's got to play better than he did in the conference finals. And then you said Holiday. That's such a big question mark because the Holiday we saw in the last two games of the East Finals being, you know, can he find that level of offensive aggression with Giannis on the floor? And that's something the Bucks are constantly wrestling with. I think Middleton has kind of shown everyone that that he's he's an underrated player and He's growing in stature every season. But, you know, Drew Holiday has to be a big difference maker in this series for Milwaukee because even if they have Giannis, it, it ain't going to be 100% Giannis. Uh, next time you come on, we'll, uh, we'll discuss the next move, okay? I would love that. <laughs> All right, there Thanks. is Mark Stein. Always appreciate you. 
All right, guys. Take care. There is a Buffalo Sabres fan. Mark's down. We didn't talk about the Buffalo. This is a rare time where he's come on and we haven't talked about the Buffalo Sabres. But he is a Buffalo Sabres fan, and to that we extend a virtual hug. One final break here on Timmer Fans. Stick around. Last call. We'll be on fire. Apparently, literally. Next, here on Tim and Friends. We are wrapping up another edition of Tim and Friends with Last Call. I reintroduce Jesse Rubinoff. Hello, Timmy. Hello. Uh, The latest edition of Capital One's The Match going on right now. I saw my Twitter feed. Yeah. Yeah. Phil, Tom Brady, teeing off against Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers, two of golf's greatest minds and two of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. And they had a little fun before the round by playing a little bit of Jeopardy. Fun for everyone uh, except Aaron Rodgers, though. He's unhappy with his boss and has no options. Who is Aaron Rodgers? Ding, ding. That is correct. Well done. That's a projection, Tom. I never said I'm unhappy with my boss. It feels like they've made trash talk a part of this, and I don't like. I like it, but I feel a wee like it's a wee bit contrived. No, it's incredibly contrived. They're, it's cringe. They're it, all trying so hard to do it. Yeah, like Phil is seems like the only natural trash talker of the group because that's that's what he that's what he does now. He's like funny on social media. He likes to talk all the time. He won a PGA Championship. He can say whatever he wants. So good Brady, evidently. Okay, but what do you, seven Super Bowls. What do you think the percentage of people who understand it's cringe and contrived versus the people who eat it up with a knife and fork? It's a very good question. Because uh, I feel like it's low. I feel like it's that easy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's I think it's pretty low. I just think that yeah, the four of them are pretty pretty cringe. Like I think the leader in the clubhouse in, in cringe is Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. Hook, line, and sinker. I feel like it, yeah. but maybe, maybe I'm just one of the... And sorry if I ruined it for you. No, not at all. <laughs> or, or you. Uh, let's go to the Montreal Canadiens. So regardless of how the season ends, we can all agree it's been a nice little run to the Stanley Cup final that not many of us expected, sort of like playing with house money. But something came right. across Twitter this morning that caught our attention, and it was this tweet from Montreal radio personality Aaron Rand. No. The tweet reads, and I quote... I think you've already seen this. If the Montreal Canadiens end up losing to Tampa, a suggestion has been made that we hold a Stanley Cup parade anyway as a way to salute the team for a great season where they almost won the Cup. Basically the equivalent of an adult participation medal. Does anyone like this idea? And I can tell you, Timmy, while I was reading that, out of the corner of my eye, Sebi went like this. So... Do you know why Sebi went like that? He doesn't want any part of that. Why? Do you know why Sebi went like that? Because you're the Montreal Canadiens. You are the franchise of the National Hockey League. You have 24 banners in those rafters. You have been to 35 Stanley Cup Finals. This isn't a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This is what you expect to do. You don't give yourself an adult participation medal, easy for me to say, or precipitation because it's going to rain in Tampa apparently and hopefully everyone's safe. You have 24 banners. I don't think this is real. I don't think that the Montreal Canadiens have suggested that they will have 
anything to the like. I think that someone heard someone say something along those lines because the Montreal Canadiens don't celebrate second place. They have 24 champions. They celebrate only those who win the bleeping cup. And that's the way everyone should be. If you're a team that's never been there before, never done that, I love that we stopped the music. We stopped the last call. And then music. I screw- you got the Zoom. And then I screwed it up by saying <laughs> precipitation no, instead of participation. I mean, Freudian slip. Elsa, what's up? Tropical storm. Hope everyone makes it through okay, I can't though. believe it's actually called Elsa. Yeah. No frozen. Let it go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that would be a perfect way to end the show, but we still got two minutes and a couple things I want to get into here. I screwed so, it up anyway. No. Was I was good. all impassioned. Almost, and then almost a mic drop. One slip at a time. Uh, just heard us talk about the NBA Finals before the break there with Barkstein of uh, Substack. Dude. Uh, game one tips off between the Suns and Bucks tonight. And it must be nice for Phoenix Suns forward Tory Craig. Nesson tweeting out earlier today that Craig is already an NBA champion because go. he also played for the Bucks earlier this season no. before getting traded. So no. the question comes... From our friend at BruinsFan88 in TO on Twitter, who tweeted us asking, cut or uncut, would you, Timmy, accept the ring if the team is your finals opponent? By the way, a Bruins fan in TO. Shout out. Good content. Love it. Cut. 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 It's the same thing. It's the 24 banners. It is. I get why Nesson tweeted it out. It's kind of a, an anomaly where a guy could get a ring no matter what happens here. But you obviously know that ring, even if he... I wouldn't even accept the ring. Actually, sorry. I, I would take the ring. There would be no ceremony. And then I would have it, give it to my kids. They sell could it. sell it. Yeah, yeah whatever. But you idea. don't you don't celebrate that ring. That's not. That's the same thing as the last question. I agree. Uh, I'm going to get to this because we got to get to it. Uh, baseball games are long. Sometimes there's no action. Last night during the Royals-Reds game, mm-hmm. the broadcast cut away to this fan. During a promo for Margaritaville night. And the camera caught him pulling out his wallet, which was on fire. But it wasn't actually on fire. One of those gimmick wallets, like a magic trick of sorts. Uh, A guy who appears to be in his 40s or 50s got roasted on Twitter. People calling him lame. What is something, Timmy, that you bought that you might as well have lit on fire instead? (laughs) (laughs) There's a long line of it lately. I got the, uh, I want to light it on fire, but I won't. I got the... uh, Furniture, oh, 15 for goodbyes. I don't have time to tell this story. I think I, I yeah, I've heard this story. I got furniture delivered, but there was only the front door delivery, and it was a bedroom set. You had to carry it upstairs. I carried half of it upstairs. What happened to the other half? Still downstairs. Oh. <laughs> Tonight or is it a weekend? It, it ruined my Saturday. <laughs> I was upset. Uh, I, I might... I might just hire someone to look at it. <laughs> All right, we're done. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm giving my manhood back.